although we're leaders, our main role, our main focus is really to set the people up around us for success. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hey there, and welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm Terry Lepofsky, and on this week's show, we're talking about expedition leadership with extreme mountaineer Al Hancock. Well, anyone who knows me will tell you that I love climbing. I can tell you that I have an enormous amount of respect for our guest today. Fifteen years ago, Al Hancock climbed the highest peak in North America, way up in Alaska, Mount Denali. This ignited a passion in him that drove him to climb the highest peaks on each of the world's seven continents. It's a feat known in the climbing world as the Seven Summits. And only about 200 people have ever accomplished this like Al did back in 2008. Al wasn't content with just the Seven Summits. He set out to accomplish mountaineering's holy grail, scaling the world's highest 14 mountains, that is, all of the mountains in the world that exceed 8,000 meters. And that's well into the terrifying zone known as the Death Zone. Al just returned from Kathmandu, fresh off a successful ascent of the world's fourth highest peak, Mount Lhotse, in northern Nepal, right next to Mount Everest. And because leadership has always been so closely linked and compared to mountaineering philosophies and principles, I asked Al if he would come and share some of those commonalities with us here on Inspiring Leaders. Al, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Terry, thank you so much, and thank you for all your listeners tuning in today. Well, i got to ask you this uh, first question. I always ask this on the show. What leader has inspired you and why? You know, Terry, when we talk about leaders, leaders set people up for success. A leader that comes to mind and made a huge uh, foot imprint on my way of thinking was a lady by the name of Dee Parkinson. She was the head of operations for Suncor, Ten Element, the Tar Sands Division, and she didn't just sit up in her office, or as some would say, the ivory tower. I can remember when I was on the tools as a millwright at the time before I went into management, but you know, it'd be three o'clock in the morning, we were a 24-hour operation, three o'clock in the morning, four or five, you'd be working on a sprocket or any part of the operations, and all of a sudden you'd hear this voice over your shoulder uh, the person would say, hey, Al, how is it going today? What uh, problems are you having to get the job done? What can I do to help facilitate this? And you'd look over your shoulder, and there was Dee Parkinson with her coveralls on. She worked the uh, you know day job, but yet she was coming out in the middle of the night and connecting with people. And I always thought, wow, now that's a leader that I'd like to follow. Wow, talk about an inspiration. Working for somebody like that, I'm sure, instills some uh, pretty good principles in a person. It instills not just uh, principles, but, you know, integrity. And again, it's just someone that you can aspire to be because this young lady who uh, was head of the operations, she didn't have to be there. She could have stayed in her office. And uh, again, as some would say, the ivory tower, but she came out, she learned and recognized people and she made that personal contact. But it was also about how can, Al, how can I set you up for success? And she would do this with so many people. So I can only have tremendous respect for her. And again, when we talk about leaders, that's a leader that comes to my mind. 
Well, Al, you know, you and I have chatted a bit. I know that we both agree that mountaineering in general is a pretty strange activity. You basically suffer excruciating pain and discomfort for extended periods of time so that you have a brief 360 degree view once you finally get to the top. And then you've got to suffer again for hours or days to get back down off the mountain. And it seems to me that only people who really value that view enough are the ones that put up with the punishment that it took to get there, especially those people that ever want to repeat that again. You know, it reminds me of that old saying or that quote from Ernest Hemingway, there are only three sports, bullfighting, motor racing, and mountaineering. The rest are merely games. Talk to us a little bit about how you got started in this. Maybe share some of the stories that you've got from the big peaks out there in Nepal and Tibet, northern Pakistan. If you can help us understand some of the commonalities between high-altitude extreme mountaineering and organizational leadership. That's a multi-dimensional question, Terry. Uh, We can start off from the beginning. You know, how did I get started? So often when I'm talking to people, I'll say, have you ever wanted to do something? But the person you're going to do it with backed out. And most people say yes, so they didn't go. Or you'll say, have you ever wanted to do something, but you just never had nobody to do it with? And again, uh, people say yes, and they don't go and they try these things. I was very good and excelled in another sport and walked away from it many, many, many years ago. And I went down to Camor and I took a basic ice climbing class. And in that classroom environment, there was people saying, you know, one day I want to do Mount McKinley, Denali, Sand Mountain, Mount Robinson, etc. And I can remember thinking, you know, I'm only here for a weekend to try something new to meet new people. I was very sick with the flu. We did uh, classroom instruction, outside instruction. Then we were doing the easiest route on the AA call. The Athabasca Andromeda call. Yes, the AA call. I know where it is, my friend. (laughs) You know, I was on my hands and knees halfway up coughing. I was so sick with the flu. Unclipped with a guide, I went down. I'm sitting at the park bench, and I got a two-way radio on. Cloud ceiling cover is low. And I can remember hearing people as the radio crackled. We're on top. We're on top. We're on the summit. I can remember looking up in that direction where the summit should be, again, covered in clouds, thinking, boy, I'm coming back here, and I'm going up there. So my first forte into the mountains, I did not reach my objective. Some would say I failed. I just say I didn't meet my objective. But I thought, one day I'm coming back, and I'm going up there. And over the next several, several years, I continually taking courses and honing my skills, and it's brought me to where I'm at today, the Big 14 Challenge. That's climbing the highest mountain, you know, the 14 highest mountains in the world. So you set pretty ambitious goals. I'm, I'm thinking about the seven summits, the highest points on each of the seven continents on the planet. Whatever got that into your head? I always use myself as an example. We go back to the story I just told you. I, I tried something. I didn't reach my objectives. But I knew that all of a sudden there was a fire that got ignited inside me. I did uh, my first big mountain. Of course, I hone my skills in the Canadian Rockies over many, many years. But then my first big mountain was uh, Denali. I came back from that, and I remember being down to Ghost Valley ice climbing, and some colleagues of mine said, hey, Al, do you think you're going to do more big mountains? And I go, well, I really don't think so. And then all of a sudden, I found myself with another gentleman over in Russia. Then I was on a team down in, after that in South America, up for Aconcagua, the highest mountain in South America. Uh, when I got back from that, I got a phone call and said, hey, what do you think about coming to Everest on an Everest expedition? So eventually I go in 2007. I uh, was very successful. And when I got back, it was four. I thought maybe I could do all seven. And I kept uh, getting out there and climbing. And uh, in 2008, 
Uh, I'm very grateful. Uh, could not do what I do without direct development sponsors or a whole lot of other people that are linking that chain of success. But I became the 13th Canadian, I think maybe the 202nd person at that time to climb all seven continents. And you finished off where? In, in Antarctica? Yeah, I finished off in Antarctica. I uh, would love to go back one day. It's a beautiful, majestic, mystique uh, area. And so Antarctica is where I finished off. And then two years after that, you had already climbed Everest. But you went back and climbed Everest again. Yes, I did. And, and I was successful. And people often said, you know, you're not a guide, Al. Why would you even go back into Everest? Why did you? I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. You know, I always say it's important to give more back than you're willing to take. And so in 2010, I got and brought the Children's Wish Foundation on board. And I was there trying to make a child's wish come true. I didn't raise money for that. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty noble of you, my friend. It's important, again, to give more back than you're willing to take. And so when did you start off with the next monstrous goal that you had, which was climbing the 14 highest peaks on the planet Earth? After I came back in 2010, I continued climbing. In 2011, I found myself in Tibet, and I was on uh, Shishapangba and Choyu, and I was successful on a double header, both of these 8,000-meter peaks back-to-back. -back. When I came back, it's a natural progression to keep on climbing, and I thought, you know, I'd like to try all 14. And so we have one person in North America, uh, the United States, who's done all 14. My record stands for itself. Right now, I'm in a hot pursuit of the Big 14 Challenge. Where are you on that quest right now? You just climbed a mountain, uh, what, a month and a half ago? Yes, that was Lhotse, the fourth highest mountains uh, in the world that you had just introduced as we started the conversation. Uh, I'm at number seven, uh, you know, not counting Everest twice. You can't count that twice. I've been, and fortunate enough, I've been on uh, 13 major uh, Himalayan expeditions above 8,000 meters, stood on the summit of eight in total, Everest twice. Five, I didn't stand on the summit. We got weathered off two times in K2, one on Annapurna, and two on Broad Peak. People often say to me, you know, were you angry? Were you upset that you didn't get to the summit? And I go, no. I believe it's just not my time. There's no animosity when you don't get to the summit. You just got to make those right critical decisions and realize that, you know, the mountains don't care if you live or die. The mountains don't care if you come back or not. So it's all about, you know, your ego and leave that at home. When you have ambitious goals like the kind that you set, these are huge goals, massive goals. You've got to have a very strong engagement with that goal. You've got to have that very near and dear to your heart, but knowing when to let go of it, when conditions don't look right and turn around. And if we put that in business terms, having a really good grasp on what your ambitions and your goals are in your career or with your business, with your, your corporation, also having a firm grasp on a risk assessment and knowing what the risks are and knowing when to shut it down or turn around or slow it down. I mean, that's got to be a pretty big thing as well. As you know, again, we talk about business uh, leadership or we talk about uh, leadership in the mountains. And I've been expedition leader on K2 uh, Annapurna. You know, we didn't get to the summit of Annapurna two times on K2. We didn't get to the summit, but it's about making those critical decisions. It's not about turning your back to your objectives. It's about taking a step backwards reassessing and asking yourself, what have I learned? What can I do differently? And then stepping forward and re-engaging, be it again in the mountains or in business. After all, it took me three consecutive years to get to some of K2. Now, you haven't just been a climber on some of these. You've actually had other roles. I think you told me previously that you have actually been expedition leader on a couple of these too. I've been an expedition leader uh, two different times on K2, two different times on Broad Peak. 
an expedition leader on Annapurna, and I was very grateful to be asked to be an expedition leader on Makalu. Myself and a colleague out of Montreal, Quebec, we are the first Canadians to ever summit uh, the summit of Makalu and hold that Canada flag. So I'm sure that you've had your whole gamut of different climbers on the teams that you've climbed with, people that maybe need to push themselves a little bit further, people that you've got to watch out for because they're pushing themselves too far. Terry, when we talk about uh, in the mountains as a leader, we talk about business, we have to look at all those things. We're dealing with a multitude of uh, personalities, and we have to find a way to work with those personalities, know when to step back, know when to engage. I think as leaders, our job really is to facilitate, to help set people up for success. Yeah, Al, i got to ask you this because out of all of the folks that I've ever seen interviewed that have stood on the top of this planet, in other words, right on the top of Mount Everest, you've done it twice. What goes through your mind when you're looking down at every physical point on this planet? When you get to the summit, you don't always have clear weather. For the most part of my career, I've had pretty good weather when I hit the summit. And to answer your question, someone had asked that question, how did you feel when you summited Mount Everest? And I said, if you could have removed my glasses, you would probably see frozen teardrops. You're filled with humility. As far as the naked eye could see, I could see into Tibet and China. When I look in the other direction, as far as the naked eye could see, I could look into Nepal and India. And so, again, you're just filled with gratitude. Matter of fact, in 2010, for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was climbing fast that morning. I stood on the summit of Everest, and I was all by myself. Is that right, Hey, Wow. And for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was all alone. And then all of a sudden, uh, from my left eye, I got a, a flash of color, and three Russians popped up from the north side. Yeah. And the summit of Everest is not much bigger than your dining room table. So again, yeah, you're just, again, you're just filled with uh, humility, and you're just humble. But of course, getting to the summit, that's the goal and the objective. But the real success, that's getting down. So you never let your guard down until you're back down to base camp. What's your favorite expedition that you've ever been on? You know, every mountain presents uh, different times of joy, different times of sadness. Uh, when I look at Makalu, you know, we had a team member who passed away. He pushed himself too hard and the limits pushed back. And that was a tragedy. Once I got the team together and eventually we regrouped, then I became one of the first Canadians to stand on the summit of Makalu, so that was a high. So I think every mountain presents its uh, joys and its sadness, and some are dripped in tears. You know, I, when we talk about success, uh, I always say he or she who is willing to bow down to the art of suffering the most has the best opportunities for success. So again, in business and personal lives, or me in the mountains, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, I've heard you say many times, doing nothing gets nothing done. <laughs> I love that quote. You know, when I say that, doing nothing gets nothing done, I, I think uh, as a keynote speaker, as a mountain climber, uh, one who has setbacks in business or in our personal lives, we could let these areas or points of negativity just grind us to a halt. But doing nothing gets nothing done. You need to step up to the plate. You need to lead by example, and you need to make a difference in either your life or someone else's. You know, I always say, if you're searching for that one person that will change your life, take a look in the mirror. I was just thinking that at some point in almost every leader's career, there's going to come a time when they run into something completely unexpected, out of the blue, with very high levels of risk, and they've got to call on all of their resources to deal with this. I'm sure we can learn from you in some of the adventures that you've been through. 
tell us a little bit about some of those situations you faced. You know, Terry, uh, we all have these situations at times, and I think it all starts uh, with the training and the degree of and amount of training that one receives and experiences. You know, I can remember being at about 27,000 feet on Mount Everest on the slopes, and I was climbing fast that night. And as far as I can see down between my legs, I could barely make out the glow of another climber's headlight, and then the unimaginable happened. My mask got tighter and tighter, tighter on my face. The crazy brain cried out, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, keep it together, keep it together. I remember having to kick my crampons, or I should say tie a clawfish into the rope, kick my crampons into the side of the mountain and lean back in space where jetliners fly uh, and just keep in composure. You could feel the fear rising up and I had to suppress it, push it down, make no mistakes, drop no parts, I'm all alone. And I took off my mask, uh, reached behind very slowly, took off my knife off my rack, cleaned out the ice, and I eventually got it put back together again and, you know, blew out the remaining ice, and then I continued to climb. So, you know, it's all come down to training for me. Uh, Another uh, scenario would be on uh, Annapurna. We were moving up towards the summit above Camp 4, and I could see a uh, storm coming in fast, so we decided to turn around and get back to Camp 4. We're in our tents, we're having a, a nap, and all of a sudden I heard this noise and I bolted upright and our face got pushed into the tent, everything went dark. We had to cut ourselves out of the tent, dig into five feet of snow and find our ice axes and crampons. The uh, Sherpas took the other climbers and move on down to Camp 3. Myself and another Sherpa stayed behind to be involved in a rescue off a Spanish climber, and it got late into the night as we were trying to get to Camp 3, and I can remember uh, hearing these avalanches, and you would duck and make yourself as small as you can, and you'd get hit with a percussion. I can remember being totally scared, and my heart is beating, it's racing, but at the same time, it's focused commitment, it's all that training. Here we are involved in a rescue trying to save someone's life, and thankfully, uh, we got him eventually down to Camp 3. Uh, it was a rough night. He eventually... Uh, you know, he loses fingers to frostbite, but we got him on a long line the next morning by a helicopter and got him down to base camp inside a helicopter and then down to Kathmandu. So uh, for me, it's all about the training. And uh, just so you know, again, for me, it's about, you know, when we look at the mountain, it's not about being married to the outcome. So many people are, and then they make the wrong decisions. For me, it's about, you know, getting to the summit. Well, that's the main objective. But for me, success is always coming home and uh, climbing another day. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Okay, listen, I've got two questions for you here, if you don't mind, Al. What challenges do you see facing many of today's leaders? The one word comes to mind, Terry, when you say that, it's called fear. Fear of uh, stepping aside your comfort zone, taking on new challenges. But I think uh, when we talk about fear, uh, becoming a good leader, overcoming fear. That's a good one for sure. And I can think of that in many different realms when it comes to accomplishments, when it comes to interacting with people, when it comes to just pushing the needle in your comfort zone for yourself. Okay, Al, how about this? What does inspired leadership mean to you? I think inspired leadership means leading by example. It means that although we're leaders, our main role, our main focus is really to set the people up around us for success. I think uh, we're not a boss. There's a big difference between being a boss and a leader. But again, I really think that as leaders, we're just steering that ship. And uh, I think that's important. It's like when I'm a leader on a base camp of a major climb on K2, for example, you know, really I'm there to listen to everybody, 
to uh, filter out to find out what they need in my individual uh, people and what do they need individually to achieve their objectives, their goals, to give them the tools that they need. But again, for me, I'm just here to steer that ship to set people up for success. Oh, that's very well said. One thing that I can really say about you, Al, you are a very accomplished but very humble person. And I don't want to finish this off without blowing the horn for you on two very important messages. The first thing is, you're a motivational keynote speaker when you're not up there in the mountains climbing. So I want to make sure that if anybody's listening and they need somebody who's going to be very motivational and somebody who's going to really lift up people's spirits at a big event or an association meeting or something like that, that they get in touch with you. The second is that everything that you do is a team activity. And that team activity requires not just people on the mountain, but it also requires support of that entire initiative. And a lot of that comes around through sponsorship. If there's anybody out there that wants to get more involved in your team and your initiative and the final seven mountains, that they get in touch with you for sponsorship as well. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the opportunity to share my story with you and your listeners. Well, listen, if people want to connect with you, how can they find you, Al? You know, people could uh, certainly uh, get the, find me at www.alhancock.com to find out more about the mountains that we just talked about. You could certainly find me, uh, Al Hancock, on Facebook on Twitter, uh, Instagram. So if you just do a little Google search of Al Hancock, you could find me on uh, six different levels of social media and LinkedIn account as well. <laughs> I've got all that in the show notes. I think your Twitter handle is Al Hancock 14, right? That's a tribute to the Big 14 Challenge. It is. It's, uh, you know, the Big 14 Challenge is about the 14 highest mountains as we talked about in the world. But if there's one thing that I, you know, would like to, to leave your listeners with, it would be this. Sure. What makes you unstoppable? It's called passion. Follow that. Al, thank you so much for being part of this show. I truly appreciate your input, your stories, and to have somebody who's as accomplished as you've been, uh, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Thank you, Terry. Thanks again for being part of our quest to make inspired leadership ubiquitous. Wherever you are, we hope that we've helped to inspire you and that you'll pay it forward by inspiring others. And just a reminder to support us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud with your ratings and comments. That support is hugely appreciated. Until next time, take care, everyone.